back to Roll for Enterprise, the podcast described as the squishy heart at the center of enterprise IT. For the first time in a little while, it's actually all four of us and no outside guests, which uh, is fun. It's been a little while since we've done that. So we have a ton of news because we've been talking to fun outside guests for the last uh, little while. Uh, Before we get started, my voice sounds weird. It's because I've been as sick as a parrot for the last uh, couple of days. Uh, I've had the man flu. I was dying. And I'm more or less okay, but I can tell that I still sound a little bit congested, so apologies. But let's get into the news. Zach, I think this first item is one for you. So Microsoft had their build conference this week. And they announced uh, some interesting low-code features, which combine uh, GPT-3, AI, text analysis, etc., to basically let you code by talking to your computer. What do you think of that? I think it's exciting. The, the focus, to me, is more important, right? And the focus is eliminating that barrier for application development uh, for organizations. So, again... You know, for some analyst firms that don't believe in no code, are they still not going to believe in it? Yes, I'm looking at you, Gartner. Um, you know, how much longer can you claim there is no such thing? Because I, I think Microsoft is going in pretty big. And, you know, here's a case of predictive automation. And again, we're not just automating, you know, uh, you know, uh, infrastructure and things like that. But what they're doing here is, is impressive to me. And so, again, I think it's I think we'll look at the bigger picture, the barrier. I think it was a two, two or three years ago, Mike, uh, you and I spoke about this, where the uh, Global CFO Council, um, the biggest threat to their business was not financial. It was software development. And we knew then they were going to focus on this and this low code, no code isn't going anywhere. So I, I think it's exciting. I think it's uh, now, you know, <laughs> it's an announcement. You know, it's, is it going to be delivered? Uh, you know, how is it uh, going to evolve? That's a good question. But uh, Mike, what are your thoughts? I actually think it's delivered, to be honest. I, I think it's in their power platform already. Um or will be shortly. Um, I think it's um, it's a big step for Microsoft, right? I mean, to put in um, the OpenAI GPT-3 functions, right? So somebody talks verbal text, like somebody just talks through and it'll build the code. I think it's a big step. But you know, Zach, I think the, the worrisome part here, maybe something we need to go back on is Gartner might be right, because if I look at it, it will produce the code and then somebody can go in and, and look and modify the code. You know, I take this back to, um, you know, the nineties when, um, I was in my, um, younger days and everybody was getting a, a PC and we were using it mainly for gaming. And then eventually everybody got fed up of gaming and started to, to code and do other things with, with their PCs at home. And I see this as opening up development to a bunch of mainstream people. And then as they start to see that code and, you know, they start to look at more and more of what they can do. And I think this is like the opportunity to really take software development and, and coding into into the next generation of, of people in the hands of the business and make it more like a, a core skill. And I think Microsoft is like knocking on the door. Um, and this is the, it's a, it's a pretty big move because even to the other apps that don't allow you kind of that back and forth, I think Microsoft is starting to, to do it right. And their power platform is really showing in improvements here and yeah, in what it can do, because there ain't much it can to do, to be honest. 
Yeah, and I think if anyone was going to do it, it's right that Microsoft would. And then there's a joke, which I'm sure we've told on the podcast already. For any given market segment, Microsoft is the leader because it's pretty much guaranteed that someone is misusing Microsoft Excel to do whatever it is uh, in that segment. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's true. You know it's true. But on the other hand, a devil's advocate for a moment, I've seen these uh, low-code attempts before. They've been going on for, uh, for a while already. The failure mode is always where you have to be sufficiently complete in your plain language description of what you want to do for the system to be able to understand it. And so it ends up that you're kind of using a weird dialect of English to program in. And at that point, aren't we just back to basic? <laughs> it's, um, yeah, my concern is that it's, it ends it's Klingon. up... It's Klingon. Come on. <laughs> I do not understand that reference. You can explain it to me <laughs> offline. Well, I don't know if I'd want to take a bat left at my uh, systems right now. That sounds dangerous. <laughs> I, I, I can't even tell if Dominic's joking or serious now. That's the, that's the weird part, but okay. <laughs> he had a cold. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so what I have is let's assume for the moment that this thing works that it does what they showed in the demo that people start using it that it does unlock uh for business analysts and people like that who don't have a formal uh programming background it lets them get more power and do interesting things that's great will it actually provide an on-ramp to do anything more uh in terms of if someone learns and becomes proficient at this will they be able to level up to something else Uh, Will it integrate with the sorts of tools that people use for quote-unquote real programming? Uh, And I'm thinking of version control and uh, syntax completion and all of that sort of thing. Uh, Branching of code bases. If you start to use it in anger, will you run into limitations? That that would be my question. I don't don't think so. And, And the reason I, I say that is because I think this this no code low code movement is only going to get stronger um, as more companies kind of jump on the bandwagon, and I think it'll abstract all that other stuff away, and because of that, it will become really focused. The other big announcement that that was made this week, or or that one of the so one of the big low code companies is is Bubble.io. Bubble, I think I'm saying that right. And they announced that with Bubble, you can build like a, an Amazon now. Um, and and it's really kind of no code. So if you think about, okay, maybe it's not going to be as complete, maybe not all the features. But if you can build a store with low code, never touch anything, then I think you're, you're onto something bigger. And then there was also like a Square announcement saying, oh, you don't even need a store to purchase something. We can, we can do it like just simple. So everything's being abstracted away. And I think it's the same thing that's happening in the data center and cloud space. And so I think it's only going to get better. And yes, you'll have your purists who want to go in and make the changes at the root level. But I think this will only continue and accelerate moving forward. Yeah, I'm a terrible example of this. I was I had an exchange on Twitter just the other day uh, when someone was saying, was bemoaning the fact that their kids in school had been forced to hand carve their HTML and CSS uh, to complete some homework for school. And 
I wrote a website just last year, like a moderately complex thing using just a straight up text editor. Hey, BB Edit, sponsor us. And that's, that's just the, the, the way I roll. So, you know, a local platform is probably not for me. So I'm trying to, to be fair to it, uh, while also bearing in mind that you know, I'm not the user, I'm not the audience for this thing. I think that there's actually a really big audience for this, and I think we can't compare it to real code. And I'll use those sort of air quotes around real code. It's a wholly different use case for a wholly different kind of, of, of outcome by a wholly different group of people, right? And so I don't think there's ever a time where the business analyst or, um, or data intelligence person or whatever who's got their hands on this is ever even aspiring to become a formal programmer or engineer in this context, right? I think that that's just a completely different market. However, I think that something you said actually really sparked something in my mind, which is as I think we, we perceive or maybe feel like these are quick and dirty, easy things to be building up and writing. And the truth is that a lot of them are going to have legs for far, far longer. For any one of us who've been in tech for a long time, we all are like, oh, this code was written in 1999. Let's, you know, let's look at it. Things have legs. Things take time to unravel. They become part of your core infrastructure. And then Mike has to manage them forever. And so I actually think that a low-code version of Atlassian is something that's got to come out soon, right? A CICD type cycle that allows people to manage these assets and to cycle them and to collaborate against them and to release them and to fork them and all of those things. Um, it has to be much, much more lightweight because I've never met a person who enjoyed Jira that actually wasn't a deep nerd, right? <laughs> but um, not, not even the deep nerds like Jira. I'm pretty sure of that. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, everybody's sending me there all the time. Um, I, but I, I do think that there's a role for that, and I would imagine that it would actually look really different. It probably is a really interesting market. You're right, Lyle. Like this isn't supposed to be the traditional to use, you know, the air quotes software developers, you know, tool. Aren't they trying to get out? I mean, not trying. They're outside of IT, right? Aren't they now empowering the business? Isn't the business more empowered? I don't, I don't know. I'm throwing that out there. I think so. I think this is, hey, look, you know, maybe we're getting closer and closer with this low-code, no-code movement to changing the way to IT is. We haven't spoken about that in a while, right? How IT organizations are built inside companies, you know? Are, are they separate anymore? Are they not? Are they outside in the business? And then the other thing this doesn't address still, I keep going back to is all the backend stuff, right? You still need backend storage, whether it's in the cloud or not, how you're going to handle a lot of that. Um, you know, Dominic databases, how are those impacted? But still, I, I think of this more as this is empowering businesses more and more. I mean, Mike, you said it before, every business is, is an IT company, right? Yeah. And I think you said something important as well. Uh, so A, Mike with the ops, again, uh, that comes up. That's going to be key to, to all of this, to the longevity. Mm -hmm. But I want to combine that with something Lilac also said. Uh, the legibility of this is almost more important than the ease of creation. There's always been this tension in being able to check that the code does what it's supposed to do when the person who knows what it's supposed to do and defines what it's supposed to do often doesn't have the the chops to to read the codes directly so there's this discipline of transferring that requires capability i need a thing that does x and the person who is going to write it the programmer doesn't know the domain very often and so if we can close that gap, to me, that's almost more powerful than unlocking more creation, just that someone can look at the code, 
uh, or not the code, the the language that is the description of the logic, and understand whether it's doing what they think it's doing or not. But it's it's an evolution to get there, right? People start by by wanting more and then they start to look at the code and try to understand what's actually happening at the at the base level of the code. I think what Zach brought up is absolutely true. The people who are going to use most of the low code tools are business users. They're not in IT. They're not in um, a technology role, as, as you would say. But I think from an ops and an IT perspective, our job is to is to teach them, to educate them, and to help them unlock that power. And I think even to the backend um, items that that um, that Zach spoke about, uh, you know, your organization should be giving them the guide rails. And I've spoke so many times about guide rails, like, hey, here's your data. I mean, these people are the best. The business users are the best at knowing what the data is, how to manipulate it, how to use it, how to read it, than someone in IT or a technology role is. So... I mean, it only makes sense that everything needs to get easier and everybody needs to unlock and, and make these more, you know, we're, we're democratizing everything. You know, this is the democratization of, of software development. And I think data is the next step and, and all those backend services. I mean, it's going to continue and has to continue. You're exactly right. We have to rethink what the role of IT is in these organizations. And to your point, it, it's providing that backend service, providing the infrastructure. And you've often said, now they want visibility and they want uptime. And this is something else they want. So in a way, it's uh, forcing them to rethink operations and, and how they approach these things. And um yeah, it's it's going to be interesting, and and once again, Satya has is, is a step ahead of everyone else. Microsoft, they, they are what they are, and, and it's pretty impressive. Yeah, very much. They understand the enterprise better than than anyone else. Where everybody is is everybody any product that comes out, people are all trying to to figure out like product market fit. I think Microsoft knows exactly what the businesses are asking for. Um, so it's hard for them to to make a mistake. I mean, okay, they make it um, occasionally, and somebody will bring a paperclip, and Lilac will complain about Zoom or whatever. Uh, but okay, they they actually know what the users are looking for, and I see Lilac already laughing. But great, great. I, I stand by my Zoom complaint. Thank you very yeah. much. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it's a valid complaint. So let's keep an eye on this thing. I'm I'm very curious for all sorts of reasons to see where it goes, and I. I have some doubts, but I also have some hopes. And so I'm sure we'll return to it in a few months when it shows up live, because I do believe it's still only in a preview, if that. Uh, but the other big thing that we wanted to talk about this week was there have been a couple of interesting stories uh, about the cloud. Uh, yes, cloud's still a thing that we, we debate. Uh, so there was an interesting survey um, that came out showing that 90% of respondents to the survey were reporting a growth in sales of on-premises deployments over the past five years. 50% of respondents' revenue can be attributed to on-premises sales. 86% of people are using Kubernetes for on-premises applications again. So this is fascinating. I'm going to be very careful what I say because our earnings aren't until next week, so I don't want to say anything I shouldn't. But uh, it's in line with uh, broad industry trends, I think, that cloud is growing, but there's still a huge 
on-premises uh, user base, and not just the mainframe Lilac. But then this combined very interestingly with uh, an article from Andreessen Horowitz about the cost of cloud and the potential to repatriate workloads from the, from the cloud. Now, at some level, this was a fairly predictable piece because it trotted out the usual example of Dropbox, which is the one example of successful cloud repatriation that everyone reaches for when they're talking about that. But it does make a lot of interesting points, and there's a lot of data. There are a lot of numbers in there. It's co-authored by Martin Casado, uh, who is one of the pioneers of software-defined networking and uh, has been around and knows uh, a thing or two. And I think he made this very interesting distinction that in the early stages, when you're growing, cloud is perfect because you don't know what your usage is going to be like. But once you're at scale, once you understand what your usage model is like, that on-demand capacity isn't nearly so attractive and you're still paying for that. You're still paying for that in your margin. And he extrapolates that all the way out to the valuation of the companies. So if you have, and Dropbox is an extreme example, not because they saved $75 million or whatever it is, but just because they had such a huge single fixed workload in their environment. And again, he makes the point that it's not a question of repatriating your whole environment, it's repatriating those workloads that are fixed, that are not scaling wildly up and down, that you understand what you're doing with. And there it does make sense possibly to operate them yourself. So Lilac, long preamble, but uh, I think you're possibly best placed of all of us to comment on this one. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think this is true. I think there's a trendiness to moving things off site that has a a certain appeal, but it I don't know that it it was always going to be a balance. I didn't think that there was ever going to be a let's let's bound this discussion. I didn't believe there was going to be a traditional enterprise or a company that's been around for more than twenty years that would find themselves fully data center free on prem anytime soon. Right? If you're brand new and you were born in the cloud, perhaps the Dropbox use case might speak to the alternative. The other thing is that I've been hearing lately is that this sort of um, a pendulum of OpEx CapEx preference isn't that straightforward. It depends a little bit on your operating model, your financial model, who you are as an organization and so forth. There are times when you actually prefer CapEx to OpEx. Um, and I think we, um, in the last 10 years or 15 years, have had this, this philosophy that OpEx is obviously preferable to CapEx. And that's just, that hasn't borne out for all organizations at all times. And then, of course, like you said, like there are workloads that are just much more difficult to move to cloud, like mainframe workloads or old, older legacy systems. And that's partly because of what's available out in the market and whether it addresses the needs with respect to speed, performance, support, and so forth. But I also think that there's, um, I think it's more than that, honestly. I, I feel like like in some of these platforms, what it really takes to move to cloud is, is fundamentally to replatform or re-architect a large part of the application. And that is forbidding. So I'm, I'd like to see balance in our industry because I always rail against the fact that everybody gets all excited about the new stuff and all of us operating in an older model feel uncool. Um, but our industry is not that different from skinny jeans, right? Like they're, they're here, they're gone, they're back. <laughs> right. Thanks, Dominic. You can check whether you're wearing your skinny jeans. But, you uh, know. So, no, I was checking whether they were gone. <laughs> oh, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I, I wish that we actually had more stability and were less fad oriented than the fashion industry. But sometimes I worry that we're not. Look, I, I, I will tell you one thing. Over time, 
everything will move to the cloud. And over time, there will be no more on-prem hardware. Um, what that time horizon is, I don't know. But over time, no company should have on-prem hardware. Uh, I want to call so much BS on this, uh, you know, state of cloud report and ask who they, who they're, you know, who was their sample size? You know, what companies were they talking to? I will agree that yes, some like moving some applications to the cloud is more expensive, but I think this is a model change or a, a, a go-to-market model change that you know the the big three are going to have to make because they're just kind of getting you in these in these gotchas and then charging some insane price for something that shouldn't have that cost. I think on the Kubernetes side here, I think, you know, we laugh at Kubernetes, but I think it, it there are a lot of people using Kubernetes. Um, I see some hardware on-prem for Kubernetes, but it's very specific designed for Kubernetes. So it's not like your traditional kind of hardware play. It's really maximized for it. But I think if you're designing something Kubernetes, you're going to the cloud. I mean, if you're not, then you need to explain to me what you're doing on-prem with Kubernetes. I, 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 I don't get it. So I, I think like when I look at this, I, you know, okay, if you're growing on-prem this much, what is your main business? Because I think it depends on the business, but I still do believe that over time, everything will be in the cloud. Over time. Yeah, Where does that leave time. you, Mike, if everything's in the cloud? I was going to point um, out, you know, our IT ops person is the one who's going hard <laughs> on clouds. You might expect that to be the opposite. But no, I think I think that's actually not that surprising in the real world because that's the transition that needs to happen. Like we were talking about just now with the low-code thing, all the marketing bump f focuses on development and creation and starting a cool new thing which is great you have to be able to do that but that cool new thing if it does deliver is then going to live for a long time and it's going to have people like mike who have to look after it whether it's on-prem or not that's going to be a small part of it so someone's going to have to patch it and update it and secure it and yada 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 and right now that's a really hard thing to do especially AWS, uh, it gives you 13 different ways of doing whatever it is, and each one has a different billing model and a different security model and different this and that, and it's actually really, really hard to make sense of an existing environment. Uh, you start out with a clean sheet of paper, and two minutes later, it's an unrecoverable mess, and you just have to go forward from there. And I think a lot of that uh, repatriation conversation is actually people saying this is giving me too many options, I need something simpler so this is operable for the long term. I think it comes to like, this is too crazy to simplify. This is too crazy to like kind of optimize, forget it, let's just move it back on-prem and that's the conversation happening. Yeah. And, you know, right now, you know, what does AWS or, or Azure or, or GCP care? They're, they're growing so much. So, okay, these people are repatriating. Eventually, they'll need to figure out, like, why did we lose that customer? And they're not, you know? So it, it's it, we're not at that point yet, uh, but we will get there eventually. Yeah, the why did we lose that customer play is various ways of running the cloud on-premises that uh, they're rolling out, which personally I think is a bit of an anti-pattern. And then you end up running I, AWS on VMware on AWS on VMware and it's uh, <laughs> turtles all the way down. Yeah. Zach? Well, one of the most, yeah, I was going to say one of the most prominent issues is, is the revenue discussion, you know, the cost discussion, Mike. And I think you touched on that. I completely agree. 
that's going to probably have to change or evolve right now. If there is a complaint, it's cost. And you can argue that soft cost, hard cost, we're saving on operations, whatever it might be. But I think the cloud providers will solve it. And then I wonder when they say on-prem, are they counting cloud on-prem? Because remember, Microsoft's been saying for the last six, seven quarters, their largest growth is Azure Stack, which is Azure on-prem. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I have to look back at that report, but I, I often wonder, you know, are people counting that as on-prem? Because if so, okay, yeah, I guess... I can't I guess believe it is, we're but it's still, still debating that. It's been 15 years of whether on-prem cloud is cloud or not cloud. And uh, I'm going to say something polarizing. I actually don't care, right? I don't think it actually matters. I think that we're just clouding the issue with these stupid clouding words, Clouding the issue, nice. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I agree. So... I, We'll see, but I think there's definitely a gap in the market thinking about day two, going back to conversation Lilac and I used to have uh, many years ago. What's day two of the cloud look like? And I don't think we've yet seen a good answer for that. And I think that's what's I, driving this conversation. I, I would say also something is something is changing at AWS. I mean, um, I, I think I mentioned this to you guys on, on the side, but, um, you know, AWS, I see them as pretty arrogant if i can say and maybe that's a bit um, of a strong word but yeah i see them as pretty arrogant salespeople. but lately there's been a lot of approaches through like linkedin sales navigator and they always waited for business to come to them and now they're really going a bit a bit more aggressive so i i think we're almost at like um you know about to take a maturity step here because they are things are changing on on uh, with, with the big three and i think it's becoming very evident to to everybody uh but we still haven't um kind of put our finger on what's changing i would say but dominic you follow Corey quinn there was like some something about aws compensation this week or cost or there was a bit of um he does one of those every week yeah <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. There was something that um, that caused a stir. So AWS has um, has some headwind as as changes are happening. There. Definitely, so and again, as people realize the reality of running their business that way. But yeah, we'll see. There's definitely room to improve there, and room for competition between the big three, or potentially for others to to emerge. Okay, uh, let's do a bit of a speed run through the rest of the news, and we'll try not to to go deep on any of these, but the links are in the show notes if you want to read up for yourself. Uh, so the realities of the return to the office are starting to sink in as people realize that it's going to be a bit difficult uh, to manage a hybrid model, and they'll have to think about it a bit more. So a few links on that. Uh, I just got my new iPad Pro, in among other things, for remote meetings. And the center stage feature, which has not been discussed that much, but it's amazing. So the center stage, it uses the wide camera on the iPad Pro uh, to take a, a wider view than the standard camera does. And then it combines those so it focuses on the active speaker as you move around. And if someone else enters the frame, it zooms back out to show both of you. It's magic. It looks like you have a professional cameraman following you. These are both front-facing cameras, Dominic? Both, yeah. They're not... They're both front facing. Yeah, yeah. I saw a demo and it's uh, it's it's quite impressive. Um, yeah, and I, I think the iPad camera has always been a bit poor, uh, and the demos that I've seen have been actually quite crystal clear and 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 interesting. So, 
Yeah, not not cause for upgrade yet, but we're getting closer. Well, I was doing an upgrade anyway, but uh, this was a pleasant surprise because I'd actually not really seen this until I'd already ordered mine, but it's great. Mm-hmm. What else has been going on? More supply chain attacks. And this one, ironically, is a security company, Rapid7. Uh, I've seen very little discussion in the news about this one. Uh, so just in case you weren't aware, Rapid7 got breached. Uh, but also, perhaps more importantly, yet another software supply chain issue. Uh, so keep an eye on that. Um, there was- I think on this one, just one quick word, a lot of people don't know, has not made, has not hit the news, like, let's say SolarWinds. Um, and I think as I talk to people about it or, or just mention it, I think people are like in shock, right? So I think a lot of companies are going back and, and reanalyzing as, as they find out, which is kind of scary in itself when it's a security company. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's not like supply chain attacks are new. I dropped a link to an article from Wired that goes back to the, the first one of these that made the news in a big way, which was RSA in 2011. And some new interesting details have emerged there. So it's a, it's a good picture of what a supply chain uh, attack looks like. Uh, so interesting context there. One thing that we're all talking about is not just when we'll go back to the office, but when we might return to in-person events. And Amazon is out in front of the pack there. They've announced that AWS reinforced their InfoSec industry event in Houston will be in person in August. So Houston in August, so that's cruel and unusual, but uh, there you go. Uh, so I guess reInvent is probably back on in December, November, whenever it is. Um, I, it's actually been so long that I'm kind of looking forward to Vegas. Uh, I, I think, Dominic, maybe... I said that last night. Like, when can I go to Vegas? That sounds great. I, I think what's uh, not... Um... Like the U.S. is fully open. I mean, when when it comes to sports arenas and 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 stadiums, I mean we're we're at packed capacity now. So uh, the U.S. is slowly returning to normal. Maybe not in the Northeast where where you are, Lilac. I think it's still a bit closed down. Um, yeah, but everywhere else, I think um, it's it's kind of starting to open up. So I, I would expect that they're all going to come back in, in in person here. I look forward to that. I'm not sure whether I'll make it. Uh, though they say that as of June, the age cohorts are off. It's just everyone gets a vaccine. You get a vaccine. You get a vaccine. You get a vaccine. So we'll see. Maybe we'll we'll get to have dinner in Vegas. But uh, it certainly seems to be a trend. Travel startups have started hiring again. Uh, I actually got an email from uh, uh, our internal travel people uh, where I work. And we're apparently changing our travel software provider and the best time to do it, minimal disruption right now. Uh, but when we go back to traveling, we'll be using a different tool from last time. Uh, something we talked about a few weeks ago, Basecamp. Uh, well, it turns out they've learned nothing. They doubled down some more. Uh, so there's a link to the blog post that uh, David Tyne and my Hansen uh, put out uh, in which he manages not to apologize and to basically just declare his intention to continue as if nothing had happened despite losing half the company at last count um well he said it's it's hard but we stick to our values and we continue forward so our yeah, values yeah, of yeah. being an asshole yeah, yeah, yeah. stirring and stirring that goes pot, our pg yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly speaking of people being terrible managers salesforce threw a lone engineer under the bus for causing the massive outage uh, there's a link in the show notes with all the details but the short version is someone was trying to roll something out 
uh, did something theoretically non-standard but was kind of accepted practice. Uh, this ended up causing a DNS outage because, of course, it was always DNS. And instead of saying, well, our process was wrong, the system was wrong, taking a look at that, they just said, no, that, that single one employee is a cause of everything that has ever gone wrong ever, and they're bad and they should feel bad. So that was lovely. How horrible for them to do that in public. I mean, really, uh, instead of taking a different approach, I kind of have an issue with that. Yeah, it was completely unnecessary. So find, find the engineer and have him as a guest. They, they announced earnings too this week, and they're they're still growing like like crazy. I mean, yeah, I I don't know, um, I, I don't know how how they they slow down, but they they're probably the cloud player that that everybody no one pays attention to, but continues to grow and grow and grow and just everyone's a yeah, Salesforce customer. Their business scope, yeah, yeah, everybody's a Salesforce customer. Yeah. And with that, it has been lovely talking to the three of you again this week, and I hope the listeners have also enjoyed it. Uh, the, all the links that we talked about are in the show notes, but if you want more from us, you can follow the show on Twitter at Roll4 with a number 4 Enterprise or on our LinkedIn page. Uh, the theme music, which should be playing under my voice if all has gone according to plan, is by my good friend Renato Podesta, and there's a link to his website in the show notes as well. Please do send us suggestions for future topics or guests. But with that, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thank you.